Our thanks to our patrons, Gene Pafford, Barb Naughton, Lonnie Hanson Dunbeer, Paul Fellman, Tim Reeder, Mike Schill, Jenna Smith, Dan Hedrick, Richard Good, Daniel Ammons, Sarah Rogers, Troy Llewellyn, Christine Gerber, Jay Hanna, Jim Collison, and the Great Plains Black History Museum. The North Omaha History Podcast is a volunteer effort, but you can help us meet expenses by becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash Omaha. Welcome to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Each week, Adam takes you on a guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past. A church minister, newspaper editor, NAACP leader, community activist, and family man, the Reverend John Albert Williams was a singular leader in a simpler time who faced complex problems and made North Omaha a better place. He was widely recognized in North Omaha in the Episcopal Church and among his family. However, today his name is nearly lost to Omaha history. So let, let, let's bring his uh, let's bring his name back in this podcast episode, uh, Adam. You got it, Steve. That's exactly what we're doing. Because one man, not only known in the Episcopal Church here in Omaha, but also known nationally. One man promoted African-American civil rights within the church, promoted the presence and appearance of African-Americans throughout the city, fought for civil rights, fought against discrimination, and really worked to raise the bar, not only in Omaha and across the city of Omaha, but specifically within the black community to really uh, call forth the most powerful leaders, the most positive experiences, the most potential-filled events to happen uh, in the city. This is Reverend John, I'm sorry, this is Reverend Dr. John Albert Williams. And Reverend Williams started his career in Omaha way back. You know, Steve, when we think about the Episcopal Church in Omaha, we have to think about the settling of Omaha. And how one man arrived in the city on a horse from the east to start the church there, right when the city was starting. The Episcopal Church was one of the very first churches in the city. And then eventually there was a uh, minister whose last name was Worthington. And Worthington, his name was George Worthington, he was in Detroit. And uh, George Worthington was friends of the family of John Albert Williams. See, John Albert Williams was born in 1866, and he was one of nine children of uh, Henry Williams and Adeline Dorr Williams. Adeline was an African Quebecois, uh, meaning that she was a black woman who lived in Quebec in Canada um, and was born there herself. Henry Williams was a freedman, uh, freed after the Civil War by the Emancipation Proclamation, who had moved to Quebec, wooed John Albert Williams' mother, and uh, they moved to London, Ontario together, which is where John Albert Williams was born. Henry Williams was a leader in the local community, 
And uh, when the family moved to Detroit, uh, they met George Worthington. Worthington encouraged young John to go to Detroit High School, where John graduated, one of the first African-Americans to graduate there. And then he went to the Detroit Church Academy, where he began his theological training. In the late 1880s, John Albert Williams went to the Seabury Western Theological Seminary in Minnesota, and he earned his Master's in Divinity, graduating in 1891. That same time, Bishop Worthington offered John Albert Williams to come to Omaha to serve St. Barnabas Episcopal Church. At that point, St. Barnabas was located in the black community and was a black congregation predominantly. However, it wasn't exclusively African-American, and lots of African-Americans stopped attending it after it was started. Worthington wanted Williams to come to Omaha to be an African-American minister to bring blacks into the Episcopal Church, and lo and behold, he did. Reverend Williams' mother moved to Omaha from Canada and died there in Omaha in 1910. In 1901, though, Reverend Williams married a woman named Lucy Gamble. Lucy Gamble was the first African-American teacher for Omaha Public Schools. When she married him, she followed the custom of resigning her job as a teacher with schools, which is what all single teachers did when they got married at that point in OPS. Reverend Williams took over St. Barnabas, but soon began lobbying for a new church to be built. Williams uh, succeeded in raising enough money. They built a brand new building just north of Nicholas Street on North 24th Street. That brand new building got a brand new name, and it was called St. Philip the Deacon Episcopal Church. And Reverend John Albert Williams was the first minister there. The new church was a beautiful sandstone structure and stood as one of the beacons in North Omaha for more than 50 years. Reverend Williams went on to become one of Omaha's most influential leaders, uh, not only succeeding with his church, but becoming involved all across the nation with a variety of things. It was 1916 when the Baltimore-based magazine called The Church Advocate wrote a page-long feature about Reverend Williams. They highlighted his influence and abilities because by 1916, Williams was on fire. He was doing all kinds of things. St. Philip's became known as, quote, an overwhelming majority of aristocrats of color, meaning that a lot of professional people belonged to the congregation and other people with uh, means. Reverend Williams himself was elected the assistant secretary of the Nebraska Diocese of the Episcopal Church in 1892. He was super influential in the church. It wasn't long before other churches started knocking on his door. In 1904, St. Luke Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C., which was the predominant, the, the preeminent uh, African-American Episcopal congregation in the United States, they invited him to become the minister in 1904, but Williams stayed on in Omaha. In 1906, the Nebraska Diocese appointed him the state historian of the Episcopal Church, and in 1909, he was named an associate editor of the state's Episcopal newspaper. He was extremely busy and was very, very involved uh, in national Episcopalian media. In 1914, he was named one of the most well-known priests in the United States of America, period, hands down, no qualifiers. Williams was super involved. In 1918, he wrote a 
the diocesan history of the mission of Omaha. He was elected to become the Bishop of Haiti in 1922, but again, he stayed on in Omaha. He was a Latin and Greek scholar who taught and tutored at Creighton University for decades. Seabury, the theological school that he went to, they gave him an honorary doctorate of divinity in 1929. And that same year, he got into this honor society of Episcopalian ministers called the Order of the Sangreal. He's one of the few recipients in the United States of America to ever receive the honor. And to believe it, he's the only person from Omaha to ever get it. So Reverend Dr. Williams became the, uh, he, he continued to serve as director of St. Philip's until he died. Super active person. St. Philip's went on to succeed in a variety of ways, moving to a new church building in, at 25th and Binney in 1949. And then in 1986, joining another congregation to develop an intentionally integrated congregation called the Episcopal Church of the Resurrection, which still is still open today at 30th and Belvedere. So Reverend Williams was super busy, but believe it or not, Steve, that's just the side of the edge of the conversation. That was his career. John Albert Williams was a dad. He was a dad, uh, a proud dad, who had some very awesome kids. They included Catherine Walker, who lived from 1912 to 2001, Worthington Williams, who lived from 1905 to 1988, and Dorothy Isaac, who lived from 1902 to 1968. His wife's name was Lucy Gamble, who I mentioned earlier, and eventually she became a very important leader throughout the community as a minister's wife, but also on her own in a variety of different roles. So you begin to see, we're not talking about just an average Joe here. Now let's get into the phenomenal part, Steve. Reverend Williams was super committed to fighting against Jim Crow in Omaha. You see, Omaha was deeply segregated in an informal way from the time that it was founded, well, still today, to be honest. One of his greatest legacies in North Omaha includes reality that he moved mountains. He started and, and ran the longest-running black newspaper in Omaha for several years. Of course, today that's the Omaha Star, but back then it was his newspaper, which was called the Omaha Monitor. He founded Omaha's NAACP chapter. He founded the Colored Commercial Club of Omaha. He founded a whole bunch of different groups and was really, really involved. He was so influential. Uh, it, it's just incredible. He was also a severe editorialist. John Albert Williams wrote editorials like it was nobody's business. I'll tell you, I, I want to quote this piece that he wrote in 1898. So picture this, black minister of the only black Episcopalian church in Omaha. 1898, he was a young man still. He writes a, a letter to the editor of the Omaha World Herald, and he is on fire. He said, quote, he may cook or cater for us. He may preside, quote, in his own place with grace and exquisite evening dress at our social feasts without alarming our social instincts, one smallest particle. He may go anywhere, be anything in service or friendship, and we feel no repugnance. He may storm the blood-stained heights of the battle-crested Moros of Santiago as bravely as the bravest, and we feel no sense of presumption on his part in the nearness of his approach to us white men. But if he presumes to wear or ask for shoulder straps of a lieutenant, or if he dares to sit at a lunch counter with us white men, or if he dares to ask us for the soda as the same fountain with us, then our proud blood is up and 
this Negro must be taught to keep his own place. So he was obviously being facetious and condemning that kind of racism. But Reverend Williams didn't stop there. He went on. But I'll tell you what, though, Steve, all of that came early on. It was 1897 when he was first nominated to be the first black person on the Omaha School Board. He wasn't appointed, though. But he was still nominated. He was involved in starting Omaha's anti-lynching league in 1894, and he was president while it was active. Ida B. Wells, the famous female uh, civil rights leader from that era, visited Omaha under his leadership. He was quoted in the local newspapers all the time and was always talking to the black community, trying to calm down or rile people up as needed. He was a member of the Omaha African-American League. He served as the secretary of the National Press, Negro Press Association in 1898. And in 1897, uh, Governor Nebraska's Governor Holcomb appointed him to be a representative to the, quote, Congress of Representative White and Colored Americans that happened during the Trans-Mississippi Expo. So Reverend Williams was a man about town. He was also friends with a lot of other influential leaders, including Silas Robbins, the first black lawyer in Omaha, Dr. Matthew Ricketts, the first black doctor in Omaha, Cyrus Bell, Reverend C.C. Uh, Owens of St. John's, and a whole bunch of other folks. His name is all tied together with them. In 1900, he served as an organ on the organizing committee for a visit to Omaha by Booker T. Washington. So Williams was super, super busy. In 1901, he took a complaint to the school board against Ivy Reed. This teacher was a, she taught the eighth grade at Cass School in the old black neighborhood, what was called the near north side at that point. Uh, and the Cass School was at 15th and Cass Streets. So you can picture near north side was in a different neighborhood then. He was backed by Silas Robinson and 12 other African Americans and they charged Mrs. Reed with making discriminatory discriminatory comments about black students during a classroom conversation on slavery. Believe that or not, in 1901. So his advocacy spread all for the next several years. You know, he became the leader of the Progressive League of Douglas County, which was started in 1906 to get black people elected to local offices. He supported a lot of candidates, including Millard Singleton and several other black leaders regularly. He joined with Vic Walker and Henry Plummer to protest the demo, the demotion of black fire patrol captains in 1911. And he became really involved with a lot of other people in uh, helping recover the community from the Easter Sunday tornado in 1913. You know, he brought a whole hundreds and hundreds of refugees from the 1913 tornado into St. Philip's to give them a safe place to sleep after the tornado tore through their homes. In 1924, uh, his friend, Re uh, Reverend Russell Taylor. Russell Taylor, he's an interesting character who has a great story of his own. He started the first African-American Presbyterian congregation, congregation in North Omaha. Anyway, 1924, Reverend Russell Taylor was friends with Reverend John Williams, and they competed against each other to get on the school board. They were really good friends, like Reverend Williams officiated Reverend Taylor's wedding. Their families had Sunday dinners together every week, but they still ran against each other for the school board. There were 32 other candidates running at the same time, though, and they all lost. The friendship went on, though. That's the good news. Reverend Williams was the first African-American to serve on the Omaha community chest starting in 1924, and he was on the board for almost a decade. His wife took over his position after he passed away. He was also on 
the board of the Omaha Urban League. But Steve, even all of that doesn't even tell John Albert Williams' story. You see, when he was a kid, he was a newsboy in Detroit. That was his start in journalism. He wrote newspaper art editorials like we talked about. He wrote for other newspapers. Then in 1914, the Omaha Enterprise folded, and Reverend Williams decided to start his own black newspaper. The Enterprise was an old black newspaper. The Monitor was the new one. And Reverend Williams wrote it and published it from his church. The goal was to, quote, discuss important matters of particular relevance to the African-American community as to touch their civic and economic rights, duties, opportunities, and privileges. And from then on, he went on and on. He shared his sermons weekly in the newspaper uh, and for the next 20 years continued to just rock and roll. It was smaller in size than his competitors, but uh, during that time, he did have the longest running black newspaper um, of all until the Omaha Star overturned his record more than 30 years later. Uh, Williams supported Republican politics, which at that point were liberal, and he also uplifted socialism. So he really saw the variety of different ways that black people were impacted by politics, and he became involved to try to fight it. That's when he took what was perhaps his longest legacy. Reverend Williams was responsible for doubling Omaha's black population between 1910 and 1921. man. Uh, in 1910, there were 4,400 African-Americans in Omaha. By 1920, there were over 10,000 that made up 5% of the city's population. According to the World Herald, Omaha had the second largest black population west of the Mississippi River behind Los Angeles because of the work of Reverend Williams. He promoted uh, Omaha in newspapers throughout the South and had a whole variety of different activities. He also created the Omaha Color Commercial Club, which I mentioned earlier, to get African-Americans jobs and to support black-owned businesses. But again, his most powerful legacy was founding the Omaha NAACP chapter. In 1914, he stayed president, starting in 1914, he stayed president for more than a decade and remained active in the chapter until he died in 1913. He protested Jim Crow streetcars in Omaha, and he protested against the streetcars not hiring black drivers. In 1919, he rallied Omahans to support the, the dire anti-lynching bill, and he led the opposition to the city of Omaha's attempt to segregate local swimming pools. He used his platform as the NAACP leader and, and, and became known citywide. He provided lynching er, leadership after the lynching of Will Brown, during the lynching of Will Brown, and before, and he continued after. He called out injustice wherever he saw it. So this was the life of Reverend John Albert Williams, one of the most important Omahans ever. But Steve, as so many of these stories end, this is the same kind. Despite his leadership, despite his impact, despite his power, Today in Omaha, there is no plaque to Reverend Dr. John Albert Williams in Omaha. There's no school named after him, no street named after him, nothing. Instead, John Albert Williams is a forgotten man, largely by everybody in the city. Maybe we can lift up his story here. Maybe we can send it out through NorthOmahaHistory.com. Maybe folks will look up my book, hashtag Omaha Black History, to learn more about his life. But most importantly, we can listen to this story right now in this podcast and build that knowledge in our hearts and in our minds. And remember, black people have been in Omaha since the founding and before, and they continue to be in Omaha today. 
their history is Omaha's history. Omaha's history is their history. And we're all in this together. That's a little bit about Reverend Dr. John Albert Williams. Rest his soul. Thanks for listening to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Join us next week as Adam takes you on another guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past.